verses 14 through 17. If you're using one of the Black Pew Bibles, that's on page 944. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Emily. If you're four years old to second grade, we are now releasing you to the herd to Connor and Jen Dudley. So four years old to second grade, uh, released to the herd. Let me pray for pastor and then we'll, we'll get into the word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this man of God. Thank you for just the way that you continue to work and craft in his heart um, each and every week. A message that focuses not on us, not on this church, but on you and on the truth of the gospel. Lord, just give him boldness this morning to proclaim the truth through the word that he will teach and preach to us this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and more importantly, a heart to be softened by what Jonathan has crafted because of the Holy Spirit working in him for us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. To uh, open God's word in front of you and to be able to teach it to you. So why don't you go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 8. And as Emily read this morning, what we're going to be doing is um, concentrating. I've actually tweaked it a little bit. We're going to be looking up verses 13 through 16. Um, and we're going to see two things this morning. If baptisms, right? Good thing. If you were like anywhere remotely excited for what happened, can we, like, right? Yes. I and mean, that, that was good, right? Um, man, this is what I love about baptisms. Being, being baptized is one of those great, just outward, external visuals of just what has actually happened to um, the inward heart of man. And so just to be able to see. Sierra um, make that confession and be baptized, and the same for Angela. It was just, it was just so good, and I hope that um, you're encouraged by that. Um, coupling that with the idea of just what we've been talking about for the Great Commission offering, coupled with the idea of what we've been um, hearing over the past couple weeks, especially in regard to just why we go because because Christ is worthy. If you heard uh, David Platt say that, we go because Jesus is worthy of all worship, and there's people in this world who are not worshiping Him. Um, they're robbing Jesus of, of worship by giving worship to things that are not worthy of worship. And so these are the reasons why we go. Um, and that's not just to the four corners of the world. It's even to people in, in our world. And that's where it's just beautiful to be able to have that, that picture of what Sierra and what Angela did for us this morning. So when we turn our attention this morning to Romans chapter 8, um, we're working our way through the great Romans, Romans 8, and what we've been seeing so far are just several ways that Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit, life in the Spirit. What does it mean to be a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ? And this morning what we're going to see is this, is that God's children, those who are in Christ Jesus, they are called God's children, and those who are in Christ Jesus, God's children, can have assurance that they are in Christ and they can know that they have actually been adopted into the family of God. One of my favorite TV shows that I occasionally watch is the series called How It's Made. 
Any, any, anybody out there, how it's made? I don't know if it's maybe just because my architectural background and where I came from, but I love watching that show. Um, it just sort of scratches that curiosity itch about like, you know, I'm sitting there looking at my, my toilet going like, how is this thing made? It's like, well, how it's made, God has the answer for that, right? How do they make contacts? How do you make aluminum foil? I just saw one the other day where they show how they make a fountain pen. And so me and one of the other pastors, Brian Huber, were, were fountain pen just nerds. And so we sort of geek out about that kind of stuff. So I shot them that YouTube video. I was like, man, check this out. Like, how they take the little nib and how they crush it and how they bend it and hone it and all this kind of stuff. It's just, I don't, there's just something about that show that just comes and it just answers those questions. Like, how do they make these things? And if you've ever been around children, you know that children are hardwired seemingly to think and operate this way as well. If you have children of your own, if you've ever been around children, they just seem to be um, hardwired in their DNA to ask at least two questions, right? Why? And how? So we've all been around the kid as I ask the question, and you answer it, and he goes, why? And you answer it, and he goes, why? And why? why? And it's like, all right, man, you know, your curiosity, we can, we, you can stop now, okay? He just always wants to go, why, 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 why? Or we've seen maybe that little one in your life who, who wants us to know how things happen. Right, And so they look outside, and they see that giant tree in the front yard, and then you show them that giant tree came from that little seed, and they go, how, how, how does that happen? How does that little seed grow into that, that giant tree? Or maybe your, your kid's thinking a little bit deeper than that, and they ask, how exactly is it that Santa Claus on one night can fly over the world giving toys to every single kid going up and down chimneys without getting caught or without getting stuck? It's like, all right, man. Okay. You're thinking, all right, I'll acknowledge that. I don't have an answer for that, but that's, that's a good how question. All right, but then there's that dreaded how question that every mommy and daddy fears, right, when that little kid gets old enough to connect, like, you know, mommy now has a bump in her butt, and so the question inevitably is, mommy, daddy, how are babies made? It's like, oh, boy, all right, you know, this is not, I don't know if this is the, quite the how question that we're going to have time to answer right now. But no, no matter what they're doing, the why and the how, Children just seem to have that natural curiosity which leads them to ask these questions of life. Why and how? Now when you turn to our scripture this morning in Romans chapter 8, like I said, we're going to tweak it a little bit. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. Paul is going to turn and present us with some how questions of his own. Okay? He's going to turn and start putting these questions before us, these these kinds of questions. How can you and I know if we really are children of God? How can we know if we really are children of God? How can you know if you have been folded into the family of God? How can we know if God truly is our Father and we truly are one of His sons and daughters? And as we turn our attention to the text before us this morning, our answer to this question, how can I know if I am a child of God, will come to us as the main idea of our passage this morning. And the main idea, verses 13 through 16, if you just boil it down, wrap it up in a nutshell, it would be this. The children of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God. 
The children of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God, which means they have been adopted and have assurance. So how can I know if I am a child of God? And part of that answer is going to come on the front end of our main idea. You can know if you are a child of God if the general trajectory, the general tenor and tone, the ebb and flow of your life is this, is that the Holy Spirit of God, which dwells in me, leads me, and I submit to his leadership. We're going to see this here. How can I know if I'm a child of God? It's this. The children of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God. And not only does that answer our question, how can I know if I'm a child of God, but Paul will continue on and show us that this same Spirit of God, which leads us, showing we are sons and daughters of God, is also the same Holy Spirit, which comes to us and shows us, reaffirms us that we have assurance that we're in the family of God, Because he is the spirit of adoption, is what Paul is going to call him. It's another name for the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of adoption. And he affirms with our spirit that you are actually a child of God. So now you can think of Romans 8, 14 through 16, like a room. So just as you have rooms in your house, and the way you go from one room into the next room is by a door... Paul is going to enter into the room of Romans 8, 14 through 16, through the door of Romans 8, 13. So in order to understand where Paul is going in verses 14 through 16, we have to understand what Paul has said already, touching on what we looked at last week, in verse 13. So if you look in your copy of Scripture on the back end of 13, and we're going to read verse 14, you'll see that Paul wrote this. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For, verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. So how can I know if I am a child of God? In order for us to answer this question, we must see that there is an extremely tight connection between what Paul says in verse 13 and to what he says in verse 14. And that tight connection comes through that single little word for. Your copy of Scripture might have the word because at the beginning of verse 14. So he's going to say something in verse 13 and say, I can say this because or for this thing is true. So if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And here's why I can say this to you, Roman Christians, and us here today at Delta Church. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the ones who are the sons and daughters of God. So when Paul writes, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, he's giving further explanation to what he wrote when he said, if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul's point is this. To be led by the Spirit of God is the same thing as putting to death the deeds of the body. They are synonymous ideas which explain explain one another. To be led by the Spirit of God is to put to death the deeds of the body. To put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit is to be led by the Spirit. They go hand in hand. They're inseparable. They're two phrases that are like a coin. A coin has two two faces, the A side and the B side. You can't take one away and have a coin. A coin by nature must have two faces to it. And this truth of what it means to be those who are sons and daughters of God, you have this twofold idea, this coin with two faces. It is to be led by the Spirit of God 
And it is to be led by the Spirit of God to put to death the deeds of the body. So to have the Spirit of God dwell in us means that we are led to hate the things that the Spirit hates, which is sin. And we are led to love the things that the Spirit loves, which is Christ. So those, according to verse 14, through the Spirit, those who put to death the deeds of the body are now called those who are led by the Spirit. And this is the path that leads to life and solidifies the fact that you actually are a child of God. If you hate the things that the Holy Spirit hates, if you are actively putting to death sin in your life, if you have this new desire to have nothing to do with sin and flesh and the way that leads to death, this is an indication that you actually are a child of God. Now, what we need to do is just insert a quick parenthesis here before, before we move on in regard to this idea of what it means for us to be children of God and to think about this idea of God's fatherhood to, to his creation. So if you pay attention, if you just heard this phrase before, you see it in writing, you see it in newspapers, you can just even hear it on TV shows, the, the phrase that goes something like this, right, just this idea that someone will come along and make the statement that we're just all God's children, we're all part of, part of God's family, God's our father and just everybody is, is God's children. And what they mean by this phrase when they say we are all God's children is that every person who has ever existed, no matter what, is a part of God's family. But according to verses 13 and 14, the category of children of God, that title of what it means to be a child of God is not all-encompassing for every person who's ever lived. Now, it's true we are all God's offspring, We are all descendants of God. You get that argument in Acts 17. It's true that we are created by God. He is our creator, and that makes us his descendants, his offspring. But that does not automatically make us, as a person, a, a child of God. Sonship in the family of God, according to verses 13 and 14, is tightly connected to whether or not a person is being led by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body so they might live. This is what proves that they really are sons and daughters of God. You can't have one without the other. You can't make the claim, I am a child of God, but then live a life that is marked by not putting sin to death. It's a false claim. It's a false claim. So in the context of these verses, this is what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. To be led by the Spirit of God looks like submission to the leadership of the Spirit as He leads you, as He leads me to wage war on our sin, which proves that we are a child of God. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, the question that you have to ask yourself, and the question I have to ask myself is this. According to verses 13 and 14, if this is the definition of what it means to be a son or daughter of God, to be a child of God, if we make the claim, I am a child of God, God is my father, I have been folded into his family, what you're saying is this, I am being led by the Spirit In a day-in, day-out measure where the Holy Spirit dwelling in me is leading me to put to death the deeds of the body and to live out this new life that he has created and stamped upon my soul. The question you have to ask is, am I really a child of God? Does that define you? The children of God are led by the Spirit of God 
to put to death the deeds of the body. This is one way that you can know if you're a child of God. God's children are marked by spirit-led sin-killing. The life of sin-killing isn't always perfect. And for the majority of us, it's this ebb and flow, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. But overall, the general trajectory of your life is one of being conformed to the image of Christ as you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. If you can say that that is true, it's not perfect, it's this ebb and flow, it's two steps forward, one step back, but the new desire that's been implanted into my heart is the desire to put sin to death because I now have the desires of the Spirit. The Spirit desires to put sin to death. The Spirit desires to conform us into the image of our Father. I do have those desires. I don't always obey. I don't always do this perfectly, but those are the desires of my heart. Then the way you can answer that question, how can I know if I truly am a child of God? You've got some really hard, strong evidence in your life that, that, that you are a child of God because people outside of Christ don't care about those things. The fact that you have those desires in you points as evidence in your life that you have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Just think about the days before you became a Christ follower. You didn't give a rip about Christ. You didn't give a rip about being conformed in His image. You didn't give a rip about putting sin to death. You didn't care to follow after Him. You didn't care to pray. You didn't care to put your nose in the Word. Why? Because you did not have those desires. Those desires are foreign to the flesh. But now that the Spirit of God lives within you, you have this new desire to walk in a manner that is pleasing the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work as you walk out your life empowered by the Spirit of the living God. But if your life is void of anything that looks like Spirit-led, sin-killing, then you can legitimately ask yourself, am I really a child of God? Am I really a child of God? So the Spirit of God leads the sons and daughters of God to put sin to death, but the Spirit also does something else. The Spirit leads us to see that God's children have been adopted. The Spirit also leads God's children to know they have been adopted. Look in your copy of Scripture. And you'll see this in verse 15. Paul writes, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So what's interesting here in verses 14 through 16, and even you'll see it some in 17 and in the next couple of weeks as we continue to work through Romans chapter 8, is that so far in Romans 8, and even so far through the book of Romans, this idea of sonship, this idea of being folded in the family of God, being sons and daughters of God, being children of the living God, has been nowhere on the radar. 
has just been completely absent in the imagery that Paul is using to describe the life of, of a Christian as it's lived by the Spirit. It's not until you get all the way up to Romans 8.14 where all of a sudden Paul pours out this quadruple punch, this, this idea of where he goes, I'm going to dip deep into the well of the imagery of what it means to be a child of God, to be sons of God, to be sons, to be children of God, to be children, to be heirs. And he's just over and over again repeating this idea. He's wanting to drive home that to be in Christ, to now have no condemnation means that you are a child of God and you've been adopted into his family. And you get one of the great texts in scripture that explains this idea of what adoption is. And it informs the way we do earthly adoptions as well. See, Paul was a Roman citizen, and, and as such, he would have been very familiar with the concept of adoption. This was, this was a system in Paul's day of Roman culture that was just very common. It was, it was something that people would know just the rules and the inner workings and how adoption actually worked. See, in the Roman culture of his day, an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father, so that this adopted father can perpetuate his name. And this adopted son would even inherit this, this father's estate. And in no way was this adopted son inferior in status to a son born by ordinary means. It wasn't like there was a two-tier system. Being an adopted son wasn't a, a first-class ticket to second-class living. Like, here's my natural-born son, and then just here's my, my adopted son. It's not the way it worked. The way it worked in Paul's day was natural-born son, adopted son. They're equal. And sometimes what you even saw in Roman culture was this, that the adoptive son even was molded more into the image of his adoptive father than the natural-born son. There was, there was no distinguishing mark between, between the two. To be adopted in Paul's day of, of Roman culture was a legal procedure which brought about full sonship for that adopted heir. And it's with this reality in the background of his mind that Paul's going to speak. He's going to look through the lens of these truths and he's going to turn it and begin to discuss what it looks like to be spiritual adoptees, adopted into God's family. Paul writes, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. To receive the Spirit deals with the idea of our salvation and how we are now welcome members in the family of God. Paul wrote another letter called Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says this, Once you and I were by nature not children of God, but children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And we were marked out as not sons of God, but actually sons of disobedience. But now for those who are in Christ Jesus, we've been adopted We've been folded into the family of God. We are now sons of God, and we are welcomed as children of God. And at our conversion, see, when you and I heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in Christ, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Just again, example, Sierra and Angela. In the moment that they came to that place, at their conversion, when they heard the word of truth, when they heard the gospel message that God really is holy, sinners cannot have a relationship with him, uh, it makes me, in a very bad way, I need someone to reconcile me to God, God to me. Jesus Christ, the person and the work of Christ on the cross can actually accomplish it. I believe that. I embrace that by faith. 
I trust in the work of Jesus Christ alone. That is my only hope of salvation. In the moment that that happened, when that word of truth came to them, the gospel of their salvation, they believed in Christ. The promise that Sierra and Angela and all of us that found ourselves in that place is this. We have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians 1. Simply put, to be in Christ is to have received the spirit of adoption, to have received the Holy Spirit, which marks you out as a son or daughter of God. See, it doesn't matter what your earthly family is like. Some of us come from pretty crummy families, pretty crummy backgrounds. You could have grown up with just a really bad home life. You could have had just a really pitiful father. Or maybe you were just part of a family that was abusive, emotionally, verbally. Some of us grew up in physically abusive homes. But the singular reality that can never be shaken is this. Not one of these things can ever invalidate your adoption into the family of God. See, to be in Christ is to be folded into a new family. To be in Christ means that you have a heavenly father, not a malevolent father, not a bad, ill-willed, malignant, ill-tempered taskmaster. You have a loving heavenly father who is marked by these qualities. He is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is your heavenly father. This is what's true of you. To be in Christ means that you've been folded into this family. And notice that what Paul says there at the beginning of verse 15, that we have received not a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Rather, we've received the spirit of adoption as sons. So the contrast is between slavery and sonship. The contrast is between fear and freedom. To be outside of Christ is to be in a slavish relationship to Satan, sin, and death. It's it's the world of fear. But to be in Christ is to be in the world of sonship, to be a son and daughter, a child of God, legitimately folded into the family of God by, by faith in Jesus Christ. It's to be in the place where we have grace and mercy, to be in the place where we have true freedom in Christ. See, Paul's point is that the Spirit does not make people slaves. Rather, the Spirit makes them sons and daughters. A cowering fear of hesitancy and insecurity, that's the mentality of a slave, not a son. But when God declares us not guilty and sends His Spirit into the hearts, what we do is we finally see God the Father for who He is, the good Father, the loving Father, the gracious Father, the merciful Father, the Father who abounds in steadfast love. This is your Father if you are in Christ. See, the spirit of adoption not only comes and he, he brings us and folds us into the family of God, but Paul writes that it is this spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit, who confirms with our hearts, yes, son, you are, yes, daughter, you are in the family of God. And we know this because it is by this Holy Spirit that we cry, Abba, Father. It's no longer no It's no longer pushing away from God. It's no longer hiding from God. It's no longer seeing him as that malevolent, gray-haired man that's just distant and far, but it's no, we're we're brought near. We see God for who 
who he truly is. He's our Abba. He's our Father. And it leads our hearts to cry out this, this term Abba. Abba's a weird term. We don't, we don't use it a lot. It's an Aramaic term. Jesus spoke Aramaic. Abba just simply means this. It's a term for daddy. We, don't, we no longer just view God the Father as that distant God, but we now can actually draw near to him. The creator and the sustainer of the universe. He's not that far off distant deity. But we can now draw near to him like a father loves a child and a child draws near to a father. For a child of God, the Father is just not some distant, faraway deity. No, the Spirit within us creates such a level of intimacy with God the Father that we can now call the Creator and Sustainer of the universe, Daddy. And if you find that inclination in your heart, in your spirit, what Paul is writing in verse 15 is this. The reason why we are able to cry, Abba, Father, and to see him as he truly is, as the loving Father that he is, it's because you have the spirit of adoption in your heart which is leading you to cry out this way. And it becomes one of the other ways that we can know if we truly are a child of God. See, another way we can answer our question, how can I know if I'm a child of God, is to consider how you think about God and relate to him. How do you think about God? How do, you, how do you relate to Him? See, if God is this boss-like taskmaster that you have to obey out of fear because He might, quote, get you if you don't obey Him, then that is attempting to relate to God out of a spirit of slavery driven by fear. But on the other hand, if you see God as your Abba, as your daddy, as as your father, and you relate to him as a child relates to a loving father, then that is relating to God out of your adoption into his family through the Spirit. See, in our natural state, we will approach God in a spirit of slavery and fear. But the Holy Spirit wipes this whole stance away and brings into our heart a sense that I can actually approach God on a family basis. I don't have to approach him in fear. I don't have to approach him with this slavish mindset of I better behave, I better act right, I better do these things, this cowering, insecure fear before God because if I mess up, he might get me. That's how slaves would relate to masters. That's not who we are if we are in Christ. We are sons and daughters of God, and sons and daughters of God can relate to God on a family basis as His beloved children. So here are some questions to help you just dissect, to discern where you're at on this slave-sonship spectrum that Paul, Paul gives us in verse 15. How can, I, how can I know where I'm at? How can I know if I'm really a child of God? Ask yourself, How do you relate to him? How do you think to him? Because the way you relate to him and think about him will help you discern if you are approaching God in the slavish mentality that is void of Christ or if you're approaching him and relating to him in a way that is truly like a son and daughter of God. You can ask yourself a question like this. Do I obey God under compulsion because I have to or do I obey God out of love and joy in my Abba Father? Slaves obey their masters out of compulsion because they have to. Because if they don't obey, master's going to get me. Sons 
relate to their father as sons, obeying their father out of love and joy for the sake of their father. Another question you can ask is this, do I live in a state of insecurity? Do I live in a state of insecurity, constantly wondering, if I slip up, God, God might punish me? Or do I live in a state of security, recognizing that if I slip up, my Father will forgive me? Another question you can ask is this. Is my concentration of my life, is the concentration of my life focused on external behavior with the hope of winning God's favor Or is my concentration focused on my relationship with God, realizing that I already have all the favor I could ever possibly receive in Jesus Christ? See, the slave says, I need to relate to the Father so that I can earn something from him. After all, he's ill-willed. He's a taskmaster. He's mean. He's not benevolent. He's not good. He's not loving. And I want to be in his good graces. So I'm going to do is I'm going to cower before him and come to him. And I'm going to just try to earn his favor, earn his grace, earn his love by living in a certain way so that if I perform certain deeds and do certain things, then hopefully what I can get out of God is favor and grace and love and mercy. That's the mindset of a slave. And we haven't been given that mindset. That's the mindset of fear. We haven't been given that mindset. But the son and the daughter of God recognize this. I can concentrate on my relationship with God, realizing I don't have to earn his favor. There's nothing I could ever do to earn his favor. Why? Because he's already poured out his favor towards me in full measure in Jesus Christ. And it's nothing that I've done. It's all what he has done. And I've been folded into the family of God by grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. If you are a child of God, you are the recipient of the unmerited favor of God. That is what folds you into the family of God and adopts you into the family of God. I mean, it's the picture of the prodigal son in Luke 15, right? What do you have? The two two brothers. The one brother who looks like he goes off the deep end, runs off into the far country, having completely scorned the love of the father, comes to his senses, and as he's coming back to the father, it's that famous conversation. Well, he's rehearsing in his mind. See, my dad's probably going to be really angry. He's going to be really upset. I have no grounds, basically, to stand on. So as I approach my father, maybe what I can do is work out this deal where I won't really be a son, but maybe I can be a servant in his household, and I'm going to try to, like, basically eke out this confession. I've sinned against God, I've sinned against you, and what I need to do is just make myself right. And before the son who has squandered his father's inheritance comes running up, walking up the road, what happens before he can even eke out a confession? The father with extravagant, unmerited, obviously, favor. The son has done nothing to deserve the ring, to deserve the robe, to deserve the slaughtering of the fattened calf, to deserve the party that's about to erupt. The father comes dead sprint right down the aisle running towards the son, pouring out favor and grace upon the son, folding him in, celebrating my son, my son who was once dead, he's alive, he's here. Fold him into the family, bring him back. He's, he's once was thought gone and lost and now he's been found. And the whole time, what's happening with the older brother? Bottom lip hanging out, face crunched up, arms folded, sitting over in the corner. And he's just P.O.'d, angry, 
upset at the Father's favor, upset at the Father's grace. And what's his confession? His father looks at him and goes, what's your deal, man? Your son, or my son, your brother. We thought he was toast. He's back. Let's celebrate. And the older son says, and this is indicative, haven't I served you for all of these years and you've never given me what I think I deserve? The older son had a slave mentality and he missed the whole point that he was already a son. He was already in the family. And there he was living like a slave. I've served you all these years. How come you haven't given me what I've deserved? And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here in verse 15. You and I have been set free. We, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we did not receive a Holy Spirit that leads us into slavery to fall back into fear. Well, no, we have received the Holy Spirit who leads us to the place where we can know our adoption as sons and daughters of God and to know our adoptions as sons and daughters of God is to swim in an ocean of grace. See, the Spirit of God leads the children of God to put sin to death. We saw that in 13 and 14. He also leads the children of God to know their adoption as sons. We just saw that in verse 15. But lastly, the Spirit leads God's children to the place of assurance. So if we haven't gotten the point already, how can I know I'm a child of God? Just think about your relationship to sin. Are you fighting it or are you not fighting it? How can I know if I'm a child of God? Think about this. The Spirit and the way He confirms our adoption in Him. Third point, how can I know if I am a child of God? Verse 16. The Holy Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. See, in this world, it is possible to have assurance that you are a child of God. You can know. You can most definitely know. You can know that you have received the Holy Spirit. You can know that you are a son or daughter. You can know that you're a child of God. You can know that you have been ransomed and redeemed by Christ. And Paul writes that it is by the Spirit himself. It is the Spirit himself who bears witness with our spirit, which brings assurance that we are children of God. See, when we cry out, to God as Abba, the Spirit of God somehow comes alongside us with our spirit and gives us assurance that we truly are in God's family. This is how we can know if I am a child of God. See, one of the things the Spirit does is He bears witness. He testifies. And the idea behind this word of testifying, the, the idea behind this word, this, this word group, bear witness with this thing the Spirit does is this idea of an authoritative witness who steps into a courtroom to solve a difficult case that seemed like it could never be solved. Okay? I love the way Tim Keller, he illustrates how the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. He writes this. The picture Paul is painting looks something like this. There's a trial going on, and the defendant is being accused of a crime. There seems to be some evidence against her and there is some evidence in favor of her claim of innocence. Right? So this defendant's on trial. She's claiming, I'm innocent. I wasn't at the scene of the crime. There's some evidence that seems to back up what she's saying, but there's also some evidence in the courtroom that seems to go against what she's saying. So where do we go? What do we do? How, what happens to that defendant? So then suddenly the defense team stands up 
They point to the door, and in through the door walks this star witness. And this star witness can be proved to have been at the scene of the crime. So that star witness comes forward, sits down, and says, I was there at the scene of the crime, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt this person was not there. She is innocent. So this new star witness bears witness with the defendant. The defendant is already saying, I'm innocent, I wasn't there. But then that star witness comes on, comes in to say the same thing, and it puts the verdict beyond any shadow of a doubt. That is how that star witness bears witness with the testimony of this person in that illustration. The Holy Spirit does the same thing. The Holy Spirit does the same thing in a very similar way. This is what the Holy Spirit does in the life of God's children. Just as the star witness came along to bear witness to the claim of the woman on trial, so too the Holy Spirit that lives within us comes along at different seasons, at different times, sometimes very strong, sometimes very weak, sometimes in a very loud way, sometimes in a whisper, but comes along to bear witness with our spirit when we see evidence in our lives that we really are God's children. See, as a follower of Christ... We know we trust Christ. By faith, we're resting on the promises of God. We see our lives changing and growing, and all these pieces of evidence lead our spirit to have a measure of confidence that we really are His. But Paul says that the Spirit can and does come alongside us. And in addition to all this, He testifies along with our spirit. This is the Spirit's work of assurance, testifying for us, testifying to us that we truly are sons of the living God. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this idea of can I know, how do I know, asking ourselves, am I truly a child of God? See, this morning you may recognize that you are not a child of God. Like you've just sat here and you've listened to all this and you step back and go, man, like I had a wrong category. I was defining what it means to be a child of God wrongly. I was just assuming I was automatically in just because I'm existing and I'm here. But according to Scripture, God is doing a work in your heart and softening your heart and showing you, man, the way that God defines what it means to be a son or daughter of God. I've drawn one conclusion this morning. I'm not, I'm not in. I'm not in the family. I'm not a son or daughter of God. The question then becomes, how do you move from slavery to sonship? Because what you've just drawn is this conclusion. I am actually living as a slave. I'm not relating to God rightly. I'm not folded into the family of God. And the answer is not this. Try harder. Do something. Obey God more. Do more works. Try to earn His favor. That is not the answer. No, the way that, that you move from sonship The way you move from slavery to sonship, your only hope is resting in God the Son. God the Son is the one who folds you and me into the family of God. That is your hope this morning. The grace of the good news that Jesus Christ is in the business of ransoming and reconciling people from spiritual slavery into the family of God. 
He is the one who removes the title, the yoke of spiritual slave, and brings us into the place where we can declare we are spiritual sons, spiritual daughters. We're folded into the family of God. If that's you here today, then that is what you need. You need the grace of Christ, not anything you can do. But it's running. Like Luke 15, the younger son, the prodigal son, running, making a beeline toward the father, going, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've really messed up. My whole life is ate up. I've basically lived all of my years apart from God. What am I going to say to God? How am I going to play? And before you can even eke out a confession of, man, my life has just been completely lived towards hell-bent living, God the Father steps in and goes, I know. I've got grace, favor, Unmerited, you obviously haven't done anything to earn it. You've, that, that's the p- part of the confession you're thinking in your mind, but here's, here's what I have for you. I have unmerited favor. I have grace. And in that moment, we fall to our knees and we repent. We turn from our old way of thinking and we place and trust our faith in Jesus Christ. And it is through Christ that we enter into the family of God. But see, if you're a believer here this morning, perhaps you found yourself living like a slave even though you are a son. You sort of find yourself in that weird older son mentality. The older son was a son. It's in the The older son. He was in the family, but he was the one actually living like a slave. And some of us as believers here find ourselves in this place. You've been adopted and folded into the family of God. Grace and mercy is yours in Jesus Christ. But as soon as you got into the family, what you started doing was you pulled the older brother routine. You went over in the corner and go, God, he stinks. He's against me. He's not for me. How can he ever know my situation? I have to work for him. I'm compelled to do it. If he doesn't, he's going to get me. He's going to punish me. That's why I walk in obedience. And here today, the corrective measure is this. It's not go out and fix yourself. It's this. It's recognize the same grace that brings you into the family of God is the same grace that sustains you as a son of God. If God is revealing to you, man, the general tenor and tone of my life as a legitimate son of God is this, as I still feel prone to go back again into the spirit of slavery, it's not run to the corner and fix yourself so that the Father can all of a sudden find you shined up and and polished up and, and come before them. No, it's not run away, but it's no, you run to him. You run to him in grace. Man, I've been living like a slave, but I'm actually a son. Father, forgive me. And again, before you can even get the confession out of your mouth, what do you do? Pulls you in. Why? Because you're his son. You're his daughter. The grace that pulls us into the family of God is the same grace that sustains us and fuels us as the sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. God, my prayer for us is this this morning, that you would come in a mighty way, that you would help us to see where we're at on the spectrum, the spectrum of what it looks like to live as a son or daughter of God, to live as a child of God, and you'd help us to discern where we're at. Am I just legitimately outside the family of God? God, my prayer is this, is that you would come this morning, Lord Jesus, and you would save, that you would generate faith in the hearts of of, of anyone who might just be outside of Christ. That, God, you would do a great work in them and see that they can be folded, adopted into the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ and trusting and resting in Him alone. God, some of us are living in a, in a manner to where, yes, we're sons, yes, we're daughters, we're legitimately 
folded into, adopted into the family of God, but what we're doing is in the family, we are acting like, reverting back again to a slavish fear. God, would you break that? That is just a hard road to live. That's that's an unpleasant road to walk. It is infuriating, infuriating. It is frustrating. God, would you come and help us to see what it means to be to be sons and daughters. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.